Demons Discuss, Take 15, the one with Hamish in the middle. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I am Valerie, and with me, laughing and joking, is Angela and Jean. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, guys. And today, we are continuing our chapter's discussion from 6 to 10, right? The next five. And yes, we called ma'am. it. We called it Hamish in the Middle because Hamish's chapter winds up Probably much in, the, in the middle. In the middle. Yeah, I'd say he's the tomato in the sandwich before the bread. Right. But in the middle. So let's go. Let's just do it. No outline. We're just doing it. Doing it live. It's doing chapter it six. We're back. Yeah. Chapter <laughs> six. We're back in the library. And this time we get to meet Miriam. Yay. So exciting. And she's just so charming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I noticed about this chapter was that uh Diana's prepared this time to have to sit next to Matthew. Yes. And part of me thinks she kind of liked it a little bit. Kind of. And But she walks in and she notices Matthew is actually set up somewhere totally different. And Yeah, she was kind of perturbed by all that. And there's a female in tow. I, I think she was kind of perturbed by the female in tow. Right. She was probably thinking, now who is this girl? Jeez. Uh, so this is where we meet Miriam for the first time, and she mm-hmm. seems rather annoyed. Matthew and this witch are talking, and they seem to know each other. And um, did what was your impression of Matthew and Miriam's relationship when you first when we first come upon this scene? Long standing. These were people who knew each other for a long time, and even though she was supposedly his subordinate, she could speak her mind. And tell him off without any problem. Right. I mean, she was cool, calm, collected, typical, you know, smooth vampire. Miriam Miriam was, yes. But I felt like she was there against her will. I mean, and I don't mean like she was following orders. It just seemed like... like, She didn't agree with what was going on. Exactly. You know, the way she would put her pencil down extra hard on the desk or she would right. sigh or she would, um, you know, even even her stature being diminutive, it, she was clearly anything but that. Yeah. And when she shook Diana's hand, she pretty much uh, grabbed it, let her know, <laughs> let, let Diana knew who was boss. Right. So, you know. Yeah. I liked her. <laughs> <laughs> I related to her. Did you? Yeah. There's nothing worse than being the office wife when your office husband's being a jackass. <laughs> or an idiot, you know. That too. Um, and then we get to make make it to lunch across the street, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But she does indicate that she's able to work peacefully that day. And then when, true. when Diana gets ready to go to lunch, she goes downstairs and Matthew's like, Miriam, time for lunch. And of course, she's annoyed. So this is where we figure mm-hmm. out that, you know, Miriam's been put on a detail to um, track Diana. Right. So that's, that's kind of weird. And then she goes to, uh what's that bookstore's name? Blackwell's. Blackwell's. Yes. And has her lunch. So. But then it picked up here. For me, I mean, when she meets Agatha and our, you know, our first, yeah. our first real conversation with a, a, a demon, um, yeah. And again, it, it was kind of that skewed, stereotypical, flighty, scattered, you know, from Diana's point of view. It was her POV, so it was, you know, right, skewed yeah. a little bit. But I, I was glad to meet someone else and to get a little bit uh, more development. Yeah, kind of uh, perspective on that. It was interesting to finally get to see that. And then we were also confronted with the fact that the library was full of creatures, which. Yeah. Took that gl- glimpse through the portal and it was like, oh my God, what's going on? Right. Right. So, and then, you know, um, back to demons though, Angela, I noticed that we get more kind of a background of demons because she describes three demons just tearing apart a microfilm mm-hmm. that day. And then we, then we meet Agatha, who is sort of flighty, lost in thought. And this is also where we learn about the vampire murders. Yes. When she's talking to a- Agatha and she kind of identifies Peter Knox. Maybe doesn't connect the name and the face, but she reads the byline and sees that it's by Peter Knox.
Knox. So that's something for us to keep in mind. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I thought this was significant at the time when I first read it. Yes, I did too. I did too. It's, it's felt more like one of those 80s paranormal suspense movies that were made for TV. Right. When they brought up the vampire murders. <laughs> right. And this is kind of where we learn that demons can be visionaries. But mm-hmm. I, I noted that Diana said no one knew if their visions were reliable, like the visions witches had. And that's going back to her preconceived notions, basically given by her foundation of by Sarah. Right. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's saying, you know, we know demons, they can see stuff, but we don't know it's, if it's as reliable as witches. Yeah. Which is a really kind of a messed up thing to say. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that. <laughs> if you don't know witches, then how, I mean, if you don't know <laughs> demons, then how the hell do you know? So it's interesting. Yeah. P.S. They kind of are reliable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and um, this is kind of uh, Agatha kind of gives us an idea that vampire, that uh, Matthew, the vampire, is more of a permanent fixture in her life than Diana even saw it. This is the first indicator where Agatha says, well, you're vampire. And then Diana's like, but he's not my vampire. And, <laughs> and Agatha's like, are you sure? Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, and even better when she says something about everybody thinks the library is just a building. Yeah. And it's it kind of gave you the ideas like, oh, she knows something, but I'm not sure she even knows what she knows. Do you know? Exactly. Yes. It's almost like <laughs> someone when you're having a vision and sometimes that is the way it is that you're just kind of the conduit, something speaking yeah. through you and you're not, yes. you don't know where it's coming from. Yes. I definitely know this is happening, but I don't know the conduit context and or I don't know when I don't know if this is in the past or in the future it just mm-hmm. it's just there and I know that there is some level of truth to it so I did like that Agatha gave the classical definition of demons you know I guess I didn't pay attention to it much because she was portrayed as being flighty so or, or unreliable you know we have I more clung to Sarah's stereotypical um, mm-hmm. definition of somewhere between rock star and serial killer but she did say humans are demons or humans thought demons were guardian angels at first. Um, and that is the classical definition. Part right. of it. Part of it anyways. I like that she gives us another POV when it comes to demons. And yes. That was good to see because at the, that point, the only information we had was via Diana, via Sarah. So, mm-hmm. right. It was cool. Um, and the, the other momentous thing that happened in chapter six is she said, call me Diana. Yes. They went, they, they started the first name basis thing. Did the romance you, progresses. Right. That's when I noted things might have changed. That's when I... Yes. I was like, oh, okay, so maybe they're going somewhere with this, you know. I found myself... He, he smiled. He smiled with his eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I found myself with this book noting all of the characters around the main characters, not so much the main characters. I wasn't really mm-hmm. focused on the main characters. I was looking at all the people around them because the main characters didn't interest me at this point. So it was thanks to the, you know, secondary characters that I... I got interested into Diana uh-huh. and Matthew's relationship. So they're, for me, they were really important to get me into this book. Mm-hmm. And Deb's described a discovery of witches as the, like the honeymoon phase or the beginning phase of a relationship where everything is great. And you just have Matthew, Matthew and Diana in their own little bubble, but we meet a whole lot of secondary characters that really make a difference. You, we, we couldn't have got, yes. propel the story forward without them. Right. Totally. In fact, I think that, I think, I think a lot of those uh, secondary characters probably kept people invested in the story where they might otherwise wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Certainly me. I don't know. I think I know a lot of people who were really interested in Matthew and Diana. And I, I find myself kind of odd, the oddball out, you know? Not with you guys, but you guys are in my bubble. But outside of our bubble, <laughs> I found that a lot of people were mainly interested in Matthew and Diana and they weren't paying attention to the secondary characters where a lot of the story was and a lot of the clues were. Did you notice that? Yeah, I, I do agree yeah. with you. Yeah. So I found that passage that Matthew Claremont smiled and my heart stopped beating for a fraction of a second. This was not the small, polite smile in with which I was now familiar. His lips curved towards his eyes, making his whole face sparkle. God, he was beautiful. See, Slightly, he did, yeah. he did yep. sparkle. He smiled. <laughs> he smized. Yeah. yeah. So God, he was beautiful. I thought again, slightly dazzled. So this, at the end of this chapter, we realize, ah, 
realized she might have a thing for Matthew Claremont. A little bit. Yep. Even though we suspected it before with all the cyber stalking in the last chapter. Yep. So they say yes. their good nights, and then we're on to chapter seven. And we're rowing again. And right. she feels like crap today. Right. So And I think they go to, this is when they go for breakfast. Right. Yeah. So um I want to talk about these nightmares she had. Did you guys see anything deeper with them? She kept having nightmares after she met Matthew. I, I don't know. I thought they were going to go somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean. And then they turned out they really didn't. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, so she wakes up and then she says, a white face stared for me from the window with dark, hollow eyes. And we were expecting, you know, Matthew, but it turns out it's her reflection. She still gets hangovers after sleeping. <laughs> so she goes rowing in the fog. And, of course, Matthew is there. Yeah. Is this where she's walking with her eyes closed? Yeah. Yes. And then they have a conversation about that. Yeah. And again, maybe I am more like Matthew. And when I talk to Harlow, I, why would you be playing that game? That's what I'd be telling Harlow. Why would you be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, Matthew, tell her. Why would, why would you be doing that? <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why would she just randomly? Doesn't she know how odd she would look? That's kind of weird. <laughs> I, well, yeah. not only that, I value my shins, you know? Yeah. <laughs> True, 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 true. <laughs> this is true. I mean, because everybody knows what it feels like to hit your shin on something. <laughs> Lesson learned, keep your eyes open while you walk. Maybe, you know, that'll prevent that. But Okay. <laughs> and then he asked her for breakfast after we get through all of that. and Yeah, I love the whole foreshadowing of him building the little fortress with the sugar. I do too. I mean, that, I nice think that touch. was a tell that just reflected his heritage as a stonemason. Yeah, yeah. Now that was true foreshadowing, sort of. Huh, I never connected that. I'm like, oh, maybe that's what I just did this him. minute. <laughs> it's just like, a to me, a cute little Matthew tick too, you know? He, yeah. He was, he was nervous and he yeah. built he built a figurative wall. He was start maybe letting it down, pulling it up. I don't know. It depends on not what the way the drawbridge yeah. is going. Um, right. Yeah. True. So in the back of his mind, he's engineering, you know, a fortress because <laughs> maybe that sues him because he just got done hearing some guy make a comment about Diana and that got his hackles up. Well, do you know what's kind of weird is is she just before all that, she makes the point about, you know, gosh, four days ago, I never would have gotten into a closed in car with a vampire. Now here I am luxuriating in this jag. And then he turns around and puts this wall, this little figurative wall up on mm -hmm. the breakfast table. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's kind of strange. What'd you think of her appetite? I was surprised. I was. Yeah, me too. I mean, even yeah, though there she... weren't as many carbs involved as we would have expected yeah. later on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that. I was like, wow, this girl can eat. But later on, I guess we could put together that she expends a lot of energy normally. Mm -hmm. So she needs to constantly fuel up. So she does. She does a lot. Well, especially, I mean, not only her powers, but just athletically. But Deb has said that she spends a lot of time eating to avoid problems. She so, eats her feelings. I mean, he or she clearly seemed hungry. Yes, she eats her feelings. Correct. <laughs> I can relate, Diana. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, we find out Matthew makes rounds at a hospital during this conversation, which is interesting because it's like, oh, he can see humans maybe bleeding and be okay. Yeah. This is yeah. when I, you know, I started putting, I'm like, how dangerous are these guys? But apparently they can be around blood and be okay, you know. And later on, we figure out Matthew is extra controlled because of his condition, but he here, it mm -hmm. kind of puts your mind at ease that, oh, okay, maybe they're not so scary if they're making rounds at a hospital. Um, the mm -hmm. owner, the owner of that pub or that, that luncheonette, she, it kind, it was kind of indicated that she knew he was different. Mm -hmm. But since he saved her husband's life, she kind of just put it aside and was like, eh, whatever. He saved, right. yeah, you know, right. Saved my husband's life. So no big deal. But he knew that he, she knew that he wasn't going to eat anything. So he just, said just tea so yeah yep. brought her the tea so I was kind of getting kind of interested in as far as what they actually eat because we hadn't gotten to those chapters yet so mm -hmm. he, he's just sitting there while she's filling her face and he's building this fort and his tea's getting cold so it's like oh what does he actually eat right and then Diana asked the same question you know <laughs> mm -hmm. like I probably would have <laughs> yeah. but then but then he gets really angry and looks like her kind of crazy so right which yeah. again which again i i didn't think anything about blood rage or have any inkling but i just thought what is his problem as much as i love matthew i'm like this guy gets upset so easily she just asked a question relax <laughs> relax <laughs> <laughs> 
And mm-hmm. as far as Diana, I'm not a tea drinker, so this was like foreign. She could have been drinking sake or I don't know something else mm-hmm. because right. I'm not. I'm not I saw so the way she liked it, the way she stirred it, her ceremony with it, which I should yeah. really relate to my coffee drinking or my latte drinking. But it's, it's because amazing. you have a distinct ritual. Yes, when exactly. you make your coffee, right? So it's definitely a, a thing with her. So she asked him lots of questions. You know, Diana makes some general generalizations about scientists and. Claremont's like, oh, not the good scientist. And then Diana comes back, so you're a good scientist. And this is kind of uh, Diana interviewing Matthew, trying to figure out more of what she learned with Chris when she was doing all the cyber stalking. She's trying to fill in the holes. Yes. She's kind of just sliding it in there, trying to ask the questions. And she's tenacious that way, though, you know? Yeah. And we'll we'll learn here and we'll learn throughout the trilogy that she's does, she doesn't back down easily just because someone gives her a, a dirty look or a mean stare or tells her to stop even. Right. Yeah. So at the end of breakfast, he asked her to go to yoga with him. So what were you thinking at this point in time when he asked her to go to yoga? Things are accelerating. I don't know. I was like, yoga? Really? Is yeah. that what we're going to do here? <laughs> right. That's what I thought too. <laughs> it was very modern. <laughs> I was like, I, it never even occurred to me that yoga would be a good place to get to know somebody. I don't want to, like some guy I'm interested in, I don't want him to watch me sweat. Or- oh, I was going to say, it seems extremely <laughs> intimate or you'd have to let your guard down, you'd have to sweat, you'd have to bend body parts and show body parts that you probably may, might not want to show depending on where you're sitting. Right. You know. Not don't not to mention the fact think about what he showed when they walked in. I mean, he he totally exposed himself in that chapter. He showed that he was open-minded, he was participating in a mixed class. Right. Right. He showed part of his pa- his past in that he um, showed her the gatehouse in the yes. old lodge. I mean, if we had to go to yoga to get to the gatehouse, then I was okay with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then he told stories about the gatehouse, too. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, and maybe this is self-promotion, but okay. I didn't see that scene, that yoga scene, until our guest contributor, Allie, did the piece for us. I saw it. I mean, I love that scene now because of what she, how she wrote about it. So I'll have to put that in the show notes, the link to it, if anyone has not read it yet. Right. And for our audience, uh, if you ever wonder what Matthew's crazy pose, standing on his head, but it looked like he was only standing on his ear, she does that pose for us. And... Uh, you can see that in that blog post. So we'll definitely put it in the show notes. You have to check it out. It'll give you a whole new light or insight into that scene and how yoga relates to the trilogy. So Perspective? Yeah. Okay. So we're off of our self-promotion mode. Back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, my whole point was that I had a d- different appreciation, just like a reread. You appreciate different things. I didn't, I don't care how many times, I probably never even reread that portion when I reread, did my rereads. It wasn't until Ellie. Yeah. Piece that I appreciated for what it was. Yeah, it, it was. A, it was going back to look at it after reading Allie's piece was a real eye opener on you know how you're opening yourself up to certain things, certain ideas, and also you're letting things go. So the gatehouse impressions, which is ah, I would call it besides the yoga, I I like technically their first date, maybe technically kind of. Yeah, I guess breakfast was a gateway, and then the gatehouse was like the gatehouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he asked for her for tea and then she's like, oh, well, is there a cafe in there? And he's like, I can make tea, Diana. Jeez. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess he's going to make her some tea. So when in the gatehouse, we notice Louisa's picture. What what did you guys think about Matthew's description of Louisa? She made me think of Dark Shadows. Really? And Angelique. Yes. The whole story. I mean, the sugar plantation and Angelique and being evil and the slaves sensing the otherness of her. That's why it oh. made me think of that. I mean, I, I like that we found out that the old lodge was his and that, of course, was a layer of history that brought you back at least, you know, 500 years. So he was at least 500 years old. I liked how he crabbed about the chimneys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but as far as Louisa, I, there was another layer of family like, oh, he's got a family and, and vampires have different personalities. She was one that absorbed vices and was mean and didn't make easy to love her. And we, you know, we certainly know humans like that, right. you know. It's like, yeah, I love mm-hmm. you. I have family members like that. It's like, yeah, I love you, but, you know, 
half the stuff. I don't you really do. like you. I don't. I <laughs> I don't like you very much. But so I feel like in this in the gatehouse, it was more Matthew interviewing Diana versus breakfast, where Diana was interviewing Matthew because Matthew was trying to get a sense of her powers, and she uh-huh. she kind By of offering information about him, right? So and then she reveals, you know, I just want to be normal, and then that's when Matthew kind of goes into his diatribe about, you know, normal is an illusion. There's no, there's no, no yeah, such there's thing. No normal. Yeah. And Diana pretty much says, I don't want to be different. I want a simple, yeah. ordinary life. But Matthew seems to know that that's not possible for Diana. Right. And you True. might as, you might as well freaking embrace what you got. Use it. I what mean, are you doing here? He's been around long enough. Even if we don't know how long he's been around, he's been around long enough to know it's not possible. True. So, you know, and this is where we get, you know, you're trying to put your mat, you push your magic aside, but that's not possible. It's going to find its way to come out. And he's right, of course. Yeah. I mean, even humans, you can't, you can't, you can only bottle up something for so long, whether it's anxiety, stress, um, you, you can't, you can't do it forever before it manifests in some way. And your body will automatically tell you when it's time and how it's going to manifest it. Yeah, exactly. So they kind of end this thing on a pretty terse note where Matthew drives her back and says, you know, mm-hmm. all right, good night then. <laughs> And then she's like, oh, uh, but no, but, and he kind of leaves her hanging there, you know, I felt like, but I was kind of like, good. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the first time I felt some sort of sympathy for Matthew. I mean, it started kind of creeping in, which brought us over to the next chapter, which is when he drives over to see Hamish, which is my favorite chapter, which opened up the whole series for me. And all of a sudden I became a fan of Matthew. And then through my myself becoming a fan of Matthew, I was able to become a fan of Diana. So like I was saying, it was really for me, the secondary characters that brought me through the book or brought me to this point. And saying what you just did about Hamish, this also, I'm going to refer back to our old, uh, our last chapters review. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the problem is. It's like seeing Matthew from Hamish's eyes made it so much easier to like him, but you never really got the best pe- best friend perspective for Diana. And I think that's why I never really right. truly warmed up to her because Chris did not serve that function at all. No, he I mean, was a vessel compare... of information. That's that's all he was. Yes. So we didn't get to see Diana through another set of eyes. No. We saw Diana through Sarah's eyes who um, Sarah kind of That's not the same. Well, that's, Sarah that's a get... parental you... Yeah. It's a parental figure rather than a, a friend. And, well, and imagine Sarah saying what Hamish did. I can't imagine what you'd have to do, Matthew, for me to not, I don't know the exact quote, love you or be your friend or whatever it is. I that Diana, Sarah would not, it's one of those things again with family. I like, I, you're my family and you'll always be my family, but I don't accept the way you are all the time. Yeah. Whereas I, Hamish I, was pretty unconditional. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you're right, Jean. That's why a perspective from a best friend, a best friend uh, is kind of when you have friends, they are a family of choice. These are the people that see you at your most relaxed. They see you for who you are in this present moment moment versus a family member. I know this is true with my mother. Um, I'm a grown ass middle aged lady, but my mother still sees me as a ten year old who's mm-hmm. up to no good. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So and that will never change, you know, and my daughter the same. I still see her like when she was ten, but she's not ten. She's a grown person with her own thoughts and feelings. So yeah, there is a difference between a best friend like I would look at you and Jean differently versus how your parents would look at you or how they see you. I know you guys, how you are now, what's your present moment, you know, how you react to situations. Maybe a parent wouldn't know that because they're they're not with you all the time or they don't talk to you all the time or they don't know what, you know, and you wouldn't necessarily share that with your parents. But anyway... We meet Hamish. Hamish opens the door, pretty much looks at Matthew and says, oh, jeez, what a mess. (laughs) (laughs) What a cat dragon. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Okay, so, uh, yeah, what's up, Matthew? Come in. 
Here's a drink. What's happened? That's brought to you to my doorstep. That's so, you know, devastating. And Hamish knew enough about him to see that just by opening the door, which I thought was really cool. What what happened? Yeah, talk about yeah. reading someone. Mm-hmm. He, he yeah. really could read Matthew. I mean, just one look and he knew. That's true. He is what not slow you, on the uptake. Yeah. So what were you guys' impression? And everybody knows my impression of Hamish, but what were you guys' impression of Hamish? I'm curious to know. I liked his backstory. I mean, I liked... Uh, Finding out how he was a demon, how I, th- I thought it was a fun chapter, and I thought it was a revealing chapter. But I guess I wasn't focusing on Hamish. I, in hindsight, now um, he was definitely the integral part of finding out more about Matthew versus what Matthew reveals about himself. He was the key to unpacking Matthew pretty yes, much. Yes, right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, he has—he's like, start, start from the end. Tell me your story. But by the time they get ready to go hunting, Hamish has already figured this out. He's got a diagnosis. Now he's got to figure out. His diagnosis was that Matthew Claremont has fallen in love and he's got to figure out how to talk this man down from the tree and make him face it. I love this chapter, but I say that every time I can, any chance I get. Um, I, I love that they played chess. I love that they had dinner. I love that we get to see him hunt while Hamish just sits there patiently letting Matthew go through his little trials and tribulations in his head. Everything about this chapter was perfection to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked finding the... Even the Jeep. Yeah. Even the Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> I like finding the... the- Seeing the chinks in Matthew's armor, that he wasn't perfect. As much as I loved the perfect Matthew a couple chapters ago, I like to right. find out. I mean, I like to find out that he killed people, but I, it was made him more. There's more depth to him. And we find out that he loved somebody and killed her. Right. Oh, my God. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, her name was Eleanor and there was a problem and he wound up killing her. But we didn't actually get the details of that yet. Yeah. So that left kind of a mystery. But then we learn about Cecilia, mm-hmm. how he st- stalked her and decided he was you know the same way he the same way he kind of stalked diana right too so it kind of brings fear it's like oh what were you doing with diana were you about to you know turn her or do whatever so the story with cecilia was he turned her into a vampire and she hated it and then she committed suicide by running into a burning building right which makes you think wow what's so terrible about being a vampire right and then you couple that with this is the introduction to matthew's self self-loathing so right. you wonder. Started to wonder. Jean, you with us? Yes. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> it's just you guys are... I'm listening. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying not to make any sil- silly smart comments because I know how much y'all love Hamish. <laughs> yeah. I welcome your silly smart yeah. comments. So, you know, bring them if you well. have them. <laughs> Bring him to him. I just love that he is so, he's atypical of a demon, but he kind of embraces the accoutrements of a gay man. Like the fact that his country house is a total folly with lots of ornamentation and frills and gardens and fussiness. And that he is so freaking amused by the fact that he has this butch Jeep and right. his fancy, his fancy smoking jacket and all those affectations, outward affectations of what seems to be a stereotypical gay man, but his mannerisms are certainly nothing like that. And then we find out that he's a demon, but he's not like any of the demons we've run into so far. He's got this, he's an atypical demon. He's got this laser-like focus and his gift is numbers and his gift is economics instead of being kind of a breezy, flighty rock star, musician, artist type. Right, right. He's a bundle of contradictions. It's funny, Jean, because when you said, uh, um, you know, his smoking jacket and this and that, I just pictured a uh, dialed down version of Liberace. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Liberace, but let's take the dial down a few notches. Yeah. Um, Well, and fastidious about his clothes and all that, all of which some people would argue are very stereotypic things to think about gay men, think of gay men. Right. And then Diane is like, oh, he's gay later on down the line, which is kind of amusing. It's like, really? (laughs) <laughs> You're going to go there with yeah. that. Right. Right. Because I guess the, there were rumors in the gossip 
papers that he might have been gay. Right. Right. And how would Parliament feel about that? That was her. Yeah. Yeah. Because Matthew said he's not going to be running for Parliament. When they should be more concerned about the fact that he's a demon in government. <laughs> exactly. There, exactly. There's the irony there. I like, though, that Hamish, you know, right away you see that he's going to stand up to Matthew. And I mean, obviously, Matthew tells him his deep, deepest, darkest secrets, most of them, some of them. Right. But I like that you see all these creatures scurrying about and deferring to him and being scared of him and going away just by a, a simple stare um, or being melted, being charmed. And he's like, Matthew's like, oh, your folly, your house. He's like, so yeah, that's right. And I love it. You know, he, st- he stood up for himself. He is who he is. And he's proud of it. He, he's totally comfortable in his skin. Mm-hmm. You can poke him any which way. He has no qualms about it. So yeah, yeah I kind of admire that about Hamish. I, I, I love that he's totally comfortable with who he is. I finally felt like there was an equal for Matthew. Yeah, nothing phases him. And if Matthew's going to lie to himself, Hamish wasn't going to put up with it. So right. it was really, really good at that point. So, And he finally get, gets him at the end to kind of admit that, yes, he has some serious, deep feelings because he noted that there was mating behavior um, from his description of how he acted, how he stalked her in the rooms, how he took her to breakfast. And Hamish is like, you know, she's seen his house and Hamish knows how Matthew is. And he doesn't bring ladies to his house in Woodstock unless there's something going on. So right. it was really good. And we end that chapter with Matthew holding the queen chess piece and just sitting there staring at this piece. So on to chapter 10, guys. Okay. As satisfying as that chapter was, was I was totally deflated that Matthew was not in the library in chapter 10. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <sighs> so was Diana. <laughs> I was disappointed that, I mean, for me, he was still the river that was carrying me in the lifeboat in this story. So I was upset that he wasn't there. Um, but then, I mean, it's all for a reason. So we find out more about Diana's thoughts and her perspective, her POV and Miriam and all that. So it was going somewhere, but I still wasn't happy about it. Right. Probably read it faster than I should have the first time around. <laughs> so at this point in time, so Diana's aunts figure out something's going on because she's been to yoga with him, been to breakfast. Tabitha's going nuts and they're calling her, but she's starting to ignore her aunt's calls because uh-huh. In my head, I feel like she's scared to face the music with him because she, she in the back of her head knows what's going on. She kind of has a thing for this vampire a little bit. Yes. She's still not admitting it to herself. No. I still, um, I mean, I still held that as much as I am a Matthew fan, wasn't enamored by him. I still reserved that thought that he could be a double crosser or something just because of what Emily was saying. I'm like, I was, okay, she keeps putting up warning signs and I didn't totally discount them. Right. But Matthew wasn't in the library, but Miriam was. Diana kind of registers her disappointment, but tries to hold it in front of Miriam. And then Miriam had the sweater that was in Matthew's car and kind of tossed it at her and accused her of being a damsel in the distress and that she had to manage her own problems. And mm-hmm. this is where Diana gets so angry. This is the first time we see her fingers sparking. Right. Which I thought, I thought was cool. I thought it was a neat touch. Well, for the first time, I thought she had some chutzpah. Right. And going back to what we said, this is her par- powers starting to really come out now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was annoyed for Miriam, though. I felt her annoyance. <laughs> Not just from the page, but just <laughs> empathy. I felt empathy for her. <laughs> I, I did, too, because Miriam's like, okay, so Matthew leaves me here, and I have to watch this chick. Seriously? Really now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they do kind of gain a mutual respect after Diana comes back from lunch and she stops by and all these creatures have gathered in the library. They stop trying to be discreet. They The witches group together in a table. The demons are all around and the vampires have grouped together and they just, Matthew's not around to control them and Miriam's looking around like, oh God, really? So Diana has to step up and talk to everybody. <laughs> so, you know, she talks to half of the scary sisters. She talks to Timothy and then she talks to Peter Knox and Peter. She's the one. Right. And then Peter Knox kind of indicates. Do we have finger guns too? I can't remember. Did she get finger guns? I thought so. You're, you're the one. You're the one. Yes. Yeah. But not in this chapter though. It wasn't until she went back with Matthew after their dates and she tried to recall the manuscript again where Timothy said, you're the one. So it wasn't in this chapter where we got the finger guns. <laughs> Pew pew. (laughs) (laughs) 
<sighs> and also in this chapter, you know, she kind of has to face the music where they're aunts and tell them, yeah, we went to yoga together. Yeah, we went to breakfast together. And she said, well, he's been the only one that's been protecting me. So I don't know what you guys are talking about. And that call. So we also note that yeah. Diana is rather stubborn. Right. But I thought she had a good point. I mean, I thought that was a good defense. Yeah, it's true. And as the, the plot takes shape, I mean, I thought, you know, he's he's all she has right now. You know? Yeah. We don't know the purpose mm-hmm. of why all these creatures are being drawn to whoever they're being drawn to, whether it's Matthew or Diana and for what reason. And right. he's far more powerful, not magically, but strength and speed. Um, and as a, a predator, he's more forceful. So I don't know. I thought it was a good defense. Yeah. It was. But also in Sarah's defense, she doesn't know what's going on. She just knows there's something huge right. going on. The energy in her house has gotten crazy. Diana's not answering her phone calls. So she's frazzled and all she knows, there's a vampire hanging around her. And yeah. based on Sarah's preconceived notions, she's not getting a whole lot of information from Diana. So of course she's going to be frazzled and crazed. And- yes. And, and plus with em- Emily's visions, you know, yeah. Emily's probably sharing those with her. So Sarah's like, what the hell is going on over there? Sure. And, and Diana's like, um, yeah, nothing. Everything's fine. All good here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, imagine your daughter calling from college saying, I'm hanging out with this serial killer, but he's the only one that's helping me right now. So it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's a really nice guy. He's got a fancy house and he's the only one that's helping me. I'd be like, right. Not he kills it. people. But yeah, <laughs> he hasn't. But he's been nice to me, right? <laughs> right I don't now. fit his victim profile. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. And we get into the manuscript on how she returned it to the library, and Sarah's like, "What? You returned it? What the hell? You know?" And Sarah's still imagining Diana's just ignoring her powers and doesn't see the full scope of how Diana can't use her powers in the traditional way. So we don't, we're kind of left in flux. Like, yeah, well, uh, Sarah said you could, you know, examine this manuscript and use magic on it. Why haven't you? And right. This starts the, qu- this starts the questions like, why haven't you looked at the manuscript? Why didn't you try to figure it out? So yeah, interesting. It's, it's kind of a, a weird spot to break off on because chapter 10 is so unsatisfying. It just, it's family drama and right. more aggravation, more aggravation from the witch side of the family. Right. And then going to the library and Matthew not being there. Right. And her, her having, yeah. her having to talk to these creatures and meeting, you know, Peter Knox and her trying to research. And then Jillian. Oh, yeah. This is where Jillian kind of says, kind of indicates that Diana's parents were not killed by humans. Mm-hmm. That you're secretive just like your parents. So you start mm-hmm. thinking, Jillian, what do you know? What's going on? So I started getting a little bit scared for Diana that everybody was kind of watching her. And yeah. J- yes. Jillian, you know, Jillian turned out a lot more sinister than she did early on in the chapters. Yes, which so. made me sad because <laughs> she had a really cool name and she turned out to be nothing like Jillian Hollyrood and right. Bell, Bell Book and Candle. She did not right. honor her namesake. Right. So um, towards the end of the chapter, Diana is is invited to Professor Marsh's house. And what is Professor Marsh? Let's see. Nicholas Marsh. Was he a new college president? I thought he was a dean. Or the dean, maybe? Yeah, he was like the dean of the college, I think. Headmaster. He was, he was some, he had some titular. Okay, so they call him the, the warden? Yes. Okay. But anyways, it's like going to have drinks with her boss. There, sitting with, uh, Professor Marsh is Peter Knox. And Peter, um, makes the phone call happen. He yeah. magics a phone call and Marsh yeah. has to leave the room. And then Peter gets to have a nice private conversation with Diana and thoroughly freaks her the fuck out right oh well, me too yeah, yeah. Me, uh, me, me three yeah he turned into the creepy old guy and right it's like uh what's going on here who can orchestrate situations and can make things happen and can trap set traps you know he he was a surprise like whoa this old guy's got some power right right it's like oh he can do that he can make phones ring it kind of gave you 
an idea of a witch's power, what was possible in this universe. Yes. I mean, he can make a phone ring just by thinking about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, he can make situations happen just by, this guy's powerful and yeah. he can get in her head. The fact that she could talk back kind of indicated, oh, she's probably as powerful, mm-hmm. if not more, you know, but we don't know that at this point. So yeah, this chapter, Matthew is gone, but we do kind of get a sense of witches in this because, you know, between the conversation with Sarah and Emily and then dealing with Knox and then Jillian, of course, it kind of gives us an idea of what witches can do. Interesting. Yeah. And, and the end in fighting with witches too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the witches were not, were not united and all lovey-dovey. I mean, no. I, I did, and I didn't put it together that, you know, Jillian mentioned about Diana's parents, but then later on Knox talks about Diana's, uh, your father was known for his good sense. Like he knew information. So you knew that he knew her parents. But then it's funny that Jillian, who was much younger, how would she really know about Diana's parents in in detail? I didn't put it together. Right, right. It was, I was like, whoa, Jillian, are you threatening her? What's going on? Yeah, especially when she kind of made that turn. She's like, "Um, are you sure they were killed by humans? I'm like, oh, okay. This chick is crazy. Maybe Diana wasn't wrong for not going to their little witch party. You know? Exactly. And things, I think this is where this is where we just find out everything's gonna heat up. Yep. Thank you, Professor Knox. Yes. Right. And things and, are not all hunky dory. Nope. So at the end of this chapter, she she says, I'd assured Sarah and M that no vampire would meddle in my life. Jillian Chamberlain huh? and right, Peter right. Knox. Yeah. Jillian yeah, Pate Chamberlain and Peter Knox had changed my mind. With shaking hands, I lowered the shades and locked the door. Wishing I had never heard of Ashwell seven eighty two. I thought that so. was a, I thought that was a good close to that chapter. I mean, it just as Jean laughed, yes. you know, incredulously at that first line. I was glad. I'm like, okay, perfect. Now we're going in the opposite direction. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, good, and and we learned a lot. So that that was that. So yeah, that was the next five chapters, you guys. Six wow. to ten done. They were big chapters too. They were big chapters. Yeah. They were. So, I mean, uh, the next five chapters we get into it, we start getting into the true meat of the story. We've right. already... Oh, clip along. We're going to be on our way to Subtours to soon. I can't wait. She's <laughs> like, hurry up. Fast forward to Subtours. Let's go. I know. <laughs> you know that's chapter... That's like chapter 16, isn't it? Subtours? Chapter 15, 16? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. coming up faster than you think. I know. It, with all my Matthew spooning and my Matthew love, the only thing that I that could have changed my mind is if he had an older, more powerful brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see if your wish gets granted. Let's right. see. <laughs> yeah, especially if he's ginger. Right. <laughs> His mom's pretty cool, though, too. Yeah. 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 Well, we didn't know that at the time. She seemed kind of bitchy. <laughs> I don't know. I thought yeah. she was kind of cool. Okay, well, can you imagine, you know, your boyfriend's mom cutting the flowers with her fingernails? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Way ahead of myself. All right. So uh, that ends with Chapter 10. And audience, we will be back with last thoughts and things we can't let go of. All right, everybody, listen to us wherever it is you like to listen to your podcast shows. iTunes users, we'd love it if you leave us a five-star rating plus a review. Contact us on social media. We are Demons Domain and Demons Discuss. You can email us directly, demonsdomain at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voicemail. That number is 360-519-7836. Again, 360-519-7836. Leave us a voicemail and you'll wind up on this show. I'll edit it so you sound good. No worries. Also, become a discusser by visiting our podcast page. That is demonsdiscuss.com. You can scroll down, fill out the little short form and add your name, email address, click submit, fill out the short code, submit that, and then we'll add you to our discusser list just as easy as that. Um, You'll get our emails once or twice a month and we'll ask you a question and your answers will wind up on the show. And we love our discussers. They're great. It's a growing community. We'd love it if you join. Don't forget to visit our home base and that is demonsdomain.com. Again, www.demonsdomain.com. Everything we're doing will be listed on that website. All of our social media, our podcasts, all of our posts, and you'll find all of our episodes there. So we'll see you on the internet.
my last thought is I would l- love to have a dinner date in the gatehouse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost wish the dinner date had been in the gatehouse instead of his rooms at uh, All Souls. All Souls. Oh, we have dinners coming up. Our ne- our next round of five will be the one with the dinner dates. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we're pre-naming it now. Yeah. That'll be yes. fun. We just did. We just did. The one with the dates coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, audience, we normally name these on the fly, just so you know. Uh, there's not a whole lot of thought that gets into it. Uh, I'll usually pose to Angela and Jean, hey, what are we naming this one? And then we throw out a couple suggestions. We make a conclusion, and I swear the process takes five minutes. And you just witnessed it now. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not that, uh, it's not that involved. <laughs> no. Angela, last thoughts. Last thoughts. Uh, like I said. This, I think this chapter ended perfectly for Matthew not being there, and it was a good um, juxtaposition of what was to come. I mean, for Diana to assure Sarah and Emily that no vampire met in her life, I'm like, perfect. We're only on chapter 10, and there's like 30 more chapters to go. I like it. Yeah. 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 And you know, if she says something, it's, you know. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> not exactly. going to happen. Yeah. So my last thought on these chapters here was chapter nine. You guys witnessed it right there is where I was all in. I wanted to know everything <laughs> about everybody. I was all in at this point. I, I all of a sudden gained a crush on Matthew. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. Yes, Matthew, you killed somebody? Cool. All right. (laughs) Which, it makes no sense. It, it, you know what it was? It took Matthew's wingman, Hamish, <laughs> to make you have a crush on him. Yeah, yeah, it really did. And I'm starting to fear for Diana a little bit. So I, I want to see how that's all going to turn out. That's where I was at this point. So those are my last thoughts. Anything you guys can't let go of at this point? Did you, did Jean have her last thoughts? Mm-hmm. Hers, oh. She was first. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Where were you, man? Memory memory <laughs> is a terrible thing to waste, trust me. I know. Frying pan moment. There we go. Yes. yes. <laughs> Things I can't let go of. I mentioned to you the other day, The Living and the Dead, that the a Discovery Witches TV writer and producer, Ashley Farrow, did The Living and the Dead, and it was on BBC America in October. And I did my marathon. And then, well, before the marathon, I knew it wasn't coming back. It wasn't renewed. But the season ends on a total cliffhanger, humongous cliffhanger. And it's a question that I always want to tweet him and ask the question. <laughs> but I, maybe I'm just hoping it comes back in some kind of form, whether it's a book or whether it's a on a DVD. different channel, DVD or different channel or something. Because it's, I don't want to say it because if people haven't watched it, you should watch it. Um, but it's so clever and it just ends so completely unexpected. Even the last five minutes, you think you know how it's going to end. And that last sentence just turns everything upside down. So I can't let go of it. I, that's, that's what I can't let go of it. It's been on my, on my mind. Jean, things you can't let go of. Things I can't let go of. Um, I can't let go of the fact that Deb's got two books going on at once. Ah. And what that means for us as readers. Ah. Is that good, bad, or what? So for our audience, uh, expand on that. Who, who aren't on Twitter or social media, those who are just listening to the podcast, explain. Yeah, I mean, her first, at the tail end of her appearances after the paperback release of Book of Life, she talked about, and they've actually announced her, what was supposed to be her next release, The Serpent's Mirror, which is been pushed back, um, which is supposed to be Matthew back during the tail end of the reign of Henry VIII and Mary and Edward. Right. And the ascension of Queen Elizabeth. But recently, apparently, she's also started a second book about Marcus. And I guess it's a, it's a contest of which one's going to get finished first as to what's going to be released next. And I just don't know if it bodes well or ill for us. Well, and one of the, one of the books is taking shape. I mean, really taking shape. Right. Yeah. I just... So which one's going to get released first? The one about Matthew or the one about Marcus? All I know is I want a book in my hand soon. It's The wait's been too long. Yeah. Yeah. Because it starts us, audience, into a speculation mode. 
mode. Well, it does. And she, her, her, her tweet the other, yes. her tweet the other day was, there comes a moment in writing of every book when the individual chapter files get put into a single file. I just had it. Hashtag progress. So right. to which I didn't think we were going to get a reply, but I said, which book? Not knowing she wasn't going to say how many chapters and what kind of file. And she said, not saying too many, too many in counting and computer. So one book is really taking shape. Yes. Hmm. So, so it's tre- I'm feeling trepidatious. <laughs> uh. Gee, you're like Matthew. You won't allow yourself to say the words. <laughs> no, no, I won't. I'll say it. We no. think it's the Marcus book. <laughs> we won't put those thoughts out into the universe. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's the Marcus book because it's the one who's talking to her right now. So, right. Yes, most yeah. definitely. Um, things I can't let go of. Let me see. Uh, oh, I had a thought the other day that the television show must be. Close. You know how sharks smell blood in the water, you know, because mm-hmm. because all of a sudden dormant ends of the fandom are waking up. It must be close. <laughs> and I liken it to the uh, the brine shrimp at Edwards Air Force Base. And for our audience, I used to be stationed at Edwards and there's a huge lake bed at Edwards and I was an air traffic controller at the time. So I sit up in the tower and you can see this huge lake bed and all the lake bed is, is this huge plain of brown dirt. It is hard as concrete, but once a year there, we'd get a little bit of rain in the middle of the desert. It's the Mojave Desert, the same desert that Las Vegas is in. Um, get a little bit of rain and the rain would accumulate to two to three feet. And then out of the cracks, these little brine shrimp would come to life. Ugh. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what, and uh, these eggs would lay dormant for yeah. years. It's and a they, totally disgusting take on the super bloom. <laughs> Yeah. And um, so, yeah, environmental and EPA would go out and take samples of these shrimp. And to, apparently it's a very, it's a phenomenon that only occurs on this lake bed. Huh. So they would take the, take samples of the eggs and they'd watch the shrimp grow. There was like two to three species. But that's what I feel like this fandom is like. Dormant areas of the fandom are waking up, and so something must be happening. And that's it's, all I'll say it's, about it's, that. It's like the universal, <laughs> the universal mind is is waking up. Yes, yes, the hive mind. So I feel like something's in the air. It, be it a new book. I know we know All Souls Con is coming. So for our audience, we didn't do a full All Souls Con plug. So let me do that now. Visit allsoulscon.org if you're planning on going or not planning on going. And the new thing is virtual passes are free thanks to Penguin Books. So jump on it. If you can't make it to New Orleans, yeah, if you can't make it to New Orleans, you have no excuse not to be part of it. So there you go. There's that. So allsoulscon.org. Don't forget to visit the All Souls Souls, what is it, attendees Facebook group? Yes. yes. All Souls yes. Con attendees Facebook group. Uh, we're there. We're pretty active on there. I haven't made a post in a while, but you know, uh, as we get closer, we'll probably see more posts. And yeah, I think that's it. I think we're good. Everybody's got mm-hmm. their last thoughts in. Everybody's got things they can't let go of. We got our All Souls thing in. Yep. Uh, we're going to call this episode a wrap, guys. So let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Later. Bye. Demon kiss. Mwah. And we'll talk to you later, audience. So, Gene, it's you. Okay. When you're ready. I am ready. Demon's Domain, take 15. Along with Hamish in the middle. What are you laughing at? Dis- discuss. You said Demon's oh. Domain? <laughs> okay. Take two ready? of the bumper. Take two. Demon's Sorry, Discuss. Sorry, laugh. Oh, stop. Shut up. Let me do this. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I want I want you to keep that in. Shut up. Let me do this. <laughs>